You're here because you want to know how to align your financial choices with the word of God. But you have questions that no one seems to be able to give you a good answer for. Like, how can you be rich and righteous? Doesn't the Bible say that money is evil? Or isn't seeking wealth sinful? Or how about this one? Didn't Jesus say, it is easier for a camel to walk through the eye of the needle than to get into heaven? Well, we hear you. We had some of those same questions on our financial journey as well. But today, we're going to tackle those questions head on for you. But I'm going to need a little help. So I'm bringing on some special guests because Jesus said in the book of Matthews, for where two or three are gathered together in his name, there am I in the midst of them. And on this episode, we're going to need Jesus in the midst of this. So turn up the volume, turn off your notifications, and allow the spirit of the Lord to guide you on your path to gaining wisdom around wealth. As Christians, we were taught to be good stewards over our tithing and giving to the less fortunate. But when it came to our own personal finances and investments, we are clueless on what the Bible says. What does the Bible say about managing debt, leaving a legacy, investing, or even planning for retirement? We answer these and many other questions because we want to teach you how to be rich and righteous. If this is your first time to the show, we want to say welcome. If you're coming back for another spiritual refill, Welcome back. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and this is Financial Advisors Say the Darndest Things. Once again, I'm your host, A.B. Ridgeway, and today we have a very exciting episode we will be discussing. Identifying your identity, how our perception of money is affecting how we manage it, the eye of the needle, the parable in the book of Matthew, and the difference between probability versus possibility. And what is wealth? We discuss Paul's basic working definition of wealth and how you can leverage this definition to reach prosperity. Now, we traditionally start off with a scripture, but I'm sure we'll have plenty of scriptures or references in this episode. So let's dive into the prayer and bring on our next guest. Heavenly Father, we come to you with humble hearts, open minds, and a spirit focused on you. You say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Today, our supplication is that you bless our next guest, and we give thanksgiving unto you in advance for their knowledge and understanding around your word. May the listeners to this message be blessed and encouraged to embrace your word so they can live a prosperous and righteous life through you. All of these things we ask in your name. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, our next guests are passionate about helping Christians everywhere understand and apply the principles found in the Bible. Their mission is to help Christians become even better stewards over all that God has entrusted to them. They have authored an ebook called God's Priorities for Our Stewardship. They provide seminars to churches around finances through their Life Institute. They provide tax help through Beacon Tax and Accounting Services. And they even have their own podcast show where they strive to explore the intersection of biblical theology and financial stewardship. And so if you're ready to start this monumental collaboration between financial advisors, say the darndest things, and the host of Stewardology Podcast, allow me to introduce the dynamic financial advisor and pastor duel, Pastor Drew and Tim Russell. Welcome, guys. Well, thank you. We're glad to be here. <laughs> we are very glad to be here. Thank you for reaching out. <laughs> oh, well, you're very welcome. I think that y'all have a great message that every listener needs to hear. Every platform, I need you to stand up on top of it and scream it from the rooftops because I think this is going to be an awesome show. I think you're an awesome guest, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Well, appreciate that. Thank you so much, A.B. Well, we have a lot to cover, but first, I'm going to have each of you introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about your background, and then we'll get into today's topics. I'm Tim Russell. I am a Christian financial advisor. I have the Certified Financial Planner Professional designation, and I am a Certified Kingdom advisor as well. I've been in this industry since I was 17 years old. 
Wow. Uh, I can remember the summer between my junior and senior year of high school was in the office here, filing some paperwork away, helping my dad out who founded and owns the company. And he looks at me and says, Hey, you want to have a way to pay your way through college? <laughs> yeah. Okay. What do you have in mind? He walks into his office and grabs a book and tosses it to me. I catch it. Right. And I'm looking at this book. He goes, Tim, if you could pass this test, I guarantee you'll have your way paid through college. I'm looking at it. It's a securities exam manual. <laughs> I'm like, you kidding me? Really? I'm like, uh, well, look, if you're willing to teach me, I'm willing to learn. So by God's grace, that summer, I passed that test the first time and been able to be a part of it and work my way through college and got through debt-free, praise God, and was going off into ministry. Met my wife down in college, was a Bible major, was going to go serve the Lord on the mission field doing theological education. Mm. And I went off to seminary and then God closed the door through a series of circumstances and events in our lives. And back here at the company, when God closed that door, there's a big wide open door here. So I'm here waiting for God to show me when to get back to seminary, when to go to do the mission field thing and banging our heads against the door. It's not opening. And I'm wondering, well, maybe God has a different plan. I'm looking around like there's this big wide open door right here. I get to use the theological knowledge, the biblical counseling, all of the training that I was given and, and was able to grow in through college and seminary and all of my background of a biblical stewardship and finance to now lead this company. I'm the president of the Life Financial Group, and we've got a team of five advisors, the ministry side, where right. we, I go into churches with Drew and we teach and preach about biblical stewardship. We've got the podcast, we've got the tax organization, all of those things. I never would have picked it as the perfect educational pathway, but boy, it certainly worked for me. God knew what he was doing. I am married, got two <laughs> boys. We are celebrating our 20th anniversary. Congratulations on 20 years. I have 14 years married. I'm feeling like the old man on the block. I've been married 37 years, <laughs> but hey, my name's Drew Geisey, and I'm a former pastor of almost 30 years. About six, seven years ago, I came on the team. I served in both small and large churches, both as youth pastor, executive pastor, senior pastor. When I left my last church, which was going a different direction, interacted with Tim's dad, Roy, and we one thing led to another. He saw a need for me to be part of the team, and he asked me to come on board, and originally, he wanted me to be a financial advisor. I'm impressed with you guys. I can take that exam and pass it the first time. Was not the truth for me. Did okay the first time, but not pass. But my wife and I look back and we see that that was part of God's plan to redirect me into being the lead person with the Life Institute. You may have not passed that security exam the first time, but hey, you got two ordination because my last ministry would not accept my first. I have a bachelor's of science in Bible. I also have a master's of science in Bible. I just love what we do. Part of my role is connecting with pastors all across the country, sharing with them about the passion that we have and they should have and do have about teaching and preaching about biblical stewardship. Our goal is not to go above what they say and what they speak, but to come in as a partner. Sometimes people need to hear the same thing from a different voice. Yes. And that's what we do as a team. We come in with a different voice, but also with a direct philosophy right out of scripture that what we see is how someone should order their personal finances. And I've had the joy. I've got a lot of miles on my body from these last couple of years. We've traveled <laughs> all across this country, met literally hundreds upon hundreds of pastors and serving them. It is our joy to be that secondary mouthpiece and voice for them and helping them fulfill their kingdom-minded focus and directive right from the scriptures. That's a blessing. Just to point out, you know, God and Jesus is a little bit more important than calls and puts. <laughs> Amen. 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 Well, let's dive into our topics today. According to a press release by the World Bank, if you don't know who they are, they work with every major area of development for countries. They provide a wide array of financial products and technical assistance and help countries share and apply innovative knowledge and solutions to challenges they may face. Now, despite declines in extreme poverty, broader measures show billions still struggle to meet basic needs. And the report also shows that nearly half of the world lives on less than $5.50 a day. So my question is, at what income are we considered rich or is there an income level at all? On a global scale, every single American is rich. Yeah. Every single American is rich. 
we have so much. I think the Bible has a definition of rich. So if you look at first Timothy chapter six, I think this is a good place to go to get a better sense of what we mean. I know we're going to talk about this passage in other ways in different contexts later on in our conversation, but Paul is addressing a falsehood that has come into the church where there are these false teachers who are teaching that if you do the right things, you obey and you follow all of the rules, you're going to become wealthy. You're going to become rich. Now, this is what Paul says in response to that. Imagining that godliness is a means to gain. That's what they think. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing to the world and we can't take anything out from it. But listen to this, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these, we should be content. Allow me to to phrase it this way. Brother and sister, if you have food in your pantry when you go home tonight, you got clothes on your back and add maybe a roof over your head, you are among the wealthiest people in the world. Right? Are you rich in God's eyes, maybe in God's economy? The answer is probably yes. Now, the struggle is that you don't feel rich. Right. You're making minimum wage. You know, you're having a hard time scraping by. You're looking at all these people driving by you with nicer cars, living in nicer houses with wear nicer clothes. And you say, but I'm not rich like that. Here's the problem. What did Paul say? Godliness with contentment. Contentment is great gain. Yes, you can compare yourself. And when you do, you leave the world of contentment behind. Now, that's not to say that we should strive to grow. We shouldn't strive to grow in our income and our skills and our ability to provide value and service to the world. That's critically important. That's part of being a good steward and a godly Christian. But at the same time, contentment is the missing key to all of this, because on a global scale, when we look at history and living standards from a historic perspective, everyone listening to this podcast is already in a vastly different space. Does that make sense? Yes. I want to add this to to my listeners. We talk about the hedonic adaptation. And they've heard me talk about this before. Money will make you happy temporarily. There's a spike. Let's say you're at a five and you find $200,000 on the ground or even $20 on the ground. Your happiness is going to spike for a little bit. But once you pass some time and you start buying the things that you normally buy, you have the cars like your neighbor has, you move into the nice neighborhood and everybody has what you have, your happiness level comes back down to the five. Your body goes to what they call homeostasis. It cannot stay in a stimulated state for too long. You'll overheat, your body will shut down. We're not built that way. So it tries to protect itself by bringing your levels down. And I see that as far as riches are concerned, we don't feel rich, but what we need to do, according to the scriptures, understand we are already rich. You don't need to stimulate yourself more to get the feeling of being rich, but being content in the fact you are in the Lord and globally, especially if you're listening to this. I mean, if you have a cell phone in your hand or a computer in front of you, and we shouldn't have to feel happy knowing that somebody is worse than us. But what happens is we get off of our own treadmill and we get on another treadmill where we recognize, wow, somebody has it worse than us. We're changing scales. So Drew, I kind of want to get your opinion on this as well. So I love what he talks about. Timothy unfolds what wealth is. Many believe that godliness is a means to gain. I love that. Can you talk a little bit more about that, Drew? I would love to. And as I look at that, I'm looking at the passages here. It says, continues in verse seven, for we brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And then it continues on. And this goes with what you just said. People who want to get rich fall into temptation, into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Let me just snapshot that for a moment. It's like this dog chasing its tail routine. It's chasing its tail. It's trying to catch that tail and it endlessly does it. And it says people who want to get rich, they fall into temptation. I look at that and I say fall. Isn't that what we're supposed to pray against? Lord, lead us not into what? Temptation. Temptation. But yet what happens because we don't pray, we fall and we're tempted into desiring more. I want to back up real quick. Paul is writing to Timothy here. This is not the general population. This is the people in the church. 
These are people just like you and I, and those that may be listening right now. It's us that we need to realize that godliness with contentment is great gain. So we fall into temptation, into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires. It messes with us. It messes with our heart and our mind. We're striving for more and more. And then it goes on and it plunges men into ruin and destruction. I did a little research on this word destruction many years ago. And basically that means that it's obliterated. It's annihilated. It's trashed. It is. It means it is broken so intensely that there is no possible way for it to ever come back together. So as we see this with this destruction, the amazing thing is this is all self-induced. It all comes down from a choice. Are we choosing and striving for godliness and contentment with what God has put before us? Or are we striving after more? Now, you know, AB, pastors make big money nowadays, don't they? <laughs> Wait a second, what? Every time I say that, people laugh at me. My wife and I have lived off of a pastor's salary for almost 30 years of our life. But I can tell you, we have been so blessed beyond measure because we've had every Every bill paid on time, each time, every time. Thank you, Lord. I'm blown away with that because the bottom line is we weren't keeping up with the Joneses, as the old right. adage says. Let's be faithful with what the Lord has put before us and use that for our purposes and for kingdom purposes. You know, I love what you said there. You talked about Timothy and the destruction, but one thing that really jumps out at me is responsibility. Mm, Taking responsibility well for your, your own actions. So when we talk about money's the root of all evil, it's really the love of money is the root of all evil. Preach and it. that's where we're talking about responsibility. And this scripture actually elaborates on the fact of what that destruction is that's caused men to deter away from yeah. the straight path. And I love that. And I wish people would couple that with the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, that leads me to my next question. Our identity. Identity is defined as the qualities, beliefs, personality, traits, appearances, and or expressions that characterize a person or group. But in this case, I want you to take a look at it in the form of more of a sociological perspective, where the emphasis is placed on the collective identity, whether it's the church, in which an individual identifies is strongly associated with role behaviors or the collection of group memberships that define them. With that said, can you both talk about how, where we place our identity whether in money or in God matters and about pursuing God before pursuing riches. If our identity is wrapped up in our net worth, how do we respond when the stock market drops and our values have declined by 10, 15, 20, 30, 40%? Well said. How do we feel about our relative position compared to those who have or those who are in the next pew over? If we drive a car, not because of its functionality, but primarily, primarily because of the way that other people will have thoughts about me in one way or another, our identity is now tied up in that vehicle. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. Absolutely nothing wrong with having a nice car. But if your identity is in that car, then your identity is tied to this world. Your identity is not tied with Christ. So therefore, if someone scratches or dings it, how do you respond? Mm -hmm. if, if something were to happen to it, how do you feel? Here's the danger. The danger within the Christian church today is that we as a Christian church are idolatrous. Mm -hmm. What that means is no, we don't create little stone statues and bow down to it and pray to it, offer sacrifices to it, an idol. What I mean is that what we're doing is we are taking a good thing and allowing it to be a controlling factor mm -hmm. in our heart. That our identity is tied up in something other than Christ. Whenever something wrong happens, whenever something unexpected happens, it rocks our world. We can't deal with it because it's striking to the core of who we are. However, when our identity is wrapped up in Christ, do you know what happens? Your portfolio goes down. God, this is yours. Yes. You gave it to me. And I'm going to trust you with this. Help me to make wise decisions. When my car gets in a wreck, how do I respond? God, Ah, this is frustrating. Help me to be patient. Help me to show love. Help me to be a good demonstration of who you are because you are ultimate, not the car, not my image, but you. And that 
That, my friends, that is the goal of the Christian life. That is where we need to be in terms of our value and our worth, not tied up in our things, but tied up in our identity as a forgiven, loved, blood-bought child of God. That, that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Famine or persecution or the sword, nothing on earth can separate us from his love. You know, I really like that. I like the idea of identity. And we talked about that. Like you said, a sociological perspective. We talk about that role behavior. So if you identify with the car, your behaviors are going to be car-like. If it gets in a crash, your emotions are going to be tied to it. But when your identity is in Christ, it's the, the verbiage that you use is not... I am rich, your verbiage is going to be, I have riches. Mm. I am a child of God. I am a Christian, but I am not my riches. I am not my car. My identity and the roles and the behaviors that I have are not going to be associated with the things that I have. Because when people have fancy cars, what do they do? They get kind of bougie. And you know, they're at a fine restaurant, their behavior changes because they've identified themselves with that. But as Christians, we are consistent no matter where we are. We're always going to be loving. We're always going to be giving because our behaviors are tied to the biblical principles and not the things that we have. Mm, well said. I, I just got a question. Why are you guys bashing us car guys out there? <laughs> <laughs> Tim, you started it, Tim. I'm just saying maybe your identity is a little too tied up to it, Drew. Oh, my. <laughs> but you know, I, I so get that because I am a car guy. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a motor guy. Anything with an engine in it, that's my thing. I grew up, I had a lot of cars growing up. I used to race cars on the street, big time racing. Yes, when you said dings and dents, Tim, I, I took offense to that. So, <laughs> and and still today, I I didn't hit that. your car. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that. The parking lot's pretty big, so that's good. I personally had to have that transition because my identity was wrapped up in the cars. Now, I still have a very nice car today and it's an old car. It's a 67 Galaxy 500 convertible. It, my father-in-law bought it from the original owner. We inherited it. It cost me no money to get it. I've had to fix it up since then, but I've had to transfer my mindset from being an owner to being a steward. That was a game changer for me. And I so moved through cars in my younger days when I got married and the Lord was calling me in the ministry because I didn't start ministry till after I got married. I got married at 21 and six months later, I quit my job to go to school full time. What a smart choice that was. Well, not according to my father-in-law, but we jumped on board and we did this journey for five years of undergrad. And I became very inadequate with my money so I couldn't do the transition with vehicles. And God had to strip some of those things from me that I love so much. But the amazing thing is, in my later years, He has blessed me with those things back that I can enjoy and have fun. And I enjoy with others and have that connection with. It's one of those things where we're not against having those nicer things in life. That is a, that is a blessing from the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that. But yeah. where is it in the priority phase of a person's life? My dad was actually, he worked as a mechanic. His identity never changed my whole life. He used to work at places like Jiffy Lube, then he worked for the, mm. the city bus, and then he became a professor at a local college that we had in Sacramento, California. My pride in him has always been sky high. Yeah. He's never been identified as what he does, but he's always been my father because his mm. identity is tied to who he is and not what he did to provide for us. Oh, now, love that. Yeah. So, you know, when we talk about identity, where is your identity and what are you looking at when you are looking at other people? And it tells you a lot about yourself. You know, my dad, I'm very proud of my dad because he created such beautiful children and my mom included as well. But as I said before, he didn't tie his significance to what he did. He tied it to who he was as a person. I think that's Amen. very important. This is a great conversation, and we'll be back with more after we hear a brief message about our special guest. If you are enjoying our guest today, make sure that you visit their website at Stewardology Podcast, where there are tons of resources for Christian investors just like you. You can download their ebook, God's Priorities for Our Stewardship, suggest a podcast topic, and if you need professional help with your finances from someone of faith, you can schedule a stewardship review. It is so easy. You schedule a time when you meet with an experienced Christian financial advisor. 
They discover gaps keeping you from your financial goals and provide practical advice on how to reach those goals. I mean, what else can you ask for? Stewardology Podcast is a one-stop shop to help you discover your purpose around money. As a bonus, they have links to other services, such as their Life Financial Group, Life Institute, and the Beacon Tax and Accounting Services. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to their podcast as they have some exciting prior and upcoming shows, including Stewardship Lessons from the Richest Man Alive, Is Investing the Same as Gambling, and my personal favorite, and the reason you are listening to this show now, number 51, Can You Be Rich and Be a Christian? Well, let's get back to the show and hear more from our special guest. Welcome back, everybody. We are still with Tim and Pastor Drew from the Stewardology Podcast. We have discussed what makes you rich. We dove into Paul's working operation of wealth and briefly touched on what is identity and our association with God. So how are y'all guys feeling at this point? Oh, yeah, very good. We're good to go. Let's go. Good, good. Well, perfect. I'm glad that you're enjoying yourself and you're enjoying the podcast. I know our listeners are as well. But as we move into the second part of this podcast, I want to talk about one of the cornerstones of the money in the Bible misconceptions, and it's the parable of the eye of the needle, which we find in the book of Matthews. Jesus actually makes the statement twice, once saying it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven, then describes how hard and brings up the camel and the eye of the needle. But this is interesting because he follows up with Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, and says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, which brings up this topic, probability versus possibility. Now, let me set this up. Probability being the likelihood of something happening and possibility being something that potentially can be done. Now, I know that's a lot of P's, probability, possibility, and Potentially. You should be a pastor. You should be a pastor, my friend. You should be a pastor. (laughs) Now, if I just add on my favorite saying, proximity changes perception, then we have ourselves a party. Well, hopefully not a pity party. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm I'm done. Let me focus. But to this point, all right, that was the last one, I promise. Just because something is not probable doesn't mean it's not possible. So can you explain that distinction when we're talking about wealth and being rich? There's a reality with individuals who are wealthy having a hard time accepting their need for grace. Because with wealth comes a certain amount of confidence, self-confidence, like I don't need anything. I was the one who worked hard and with the sweat of my brown and the wisdom of my own skill was able to cobble together these dollars in this business and whatever. I'm not in need of anyone. People need me. I don't need them. Because of that distinction, it becomes very difficult for them to recognize their need for a savior. Why is it that the people that Jesus interacts with are almost always on the fringes of the economic table? For example, he comments about the poor widow who put two little copper coins in the collection. He says, This one has put in more out of her poverty than all of the rest Mm -hmm. because she gave all that she had. The wealthy, they struggle to do that. They they struggle to see their need for it. We talk about probability and possibility. It is possible for someone to be rich and become a, a believer, to become a Christian. Absolutely. The power of God is totally able to help the blind to see and the lame to walk and the deaf to hear. Jesus Christ is the God of the universe who can help us in our wealth and a blindness and poverty of our own wealth to see that we need Christ. And at the same time, we talk about probability. Is it probable that a rich person will come to faith, that a rich person will will embrace Christ? Well, because of the things we just talked about, there's the, the probability factor, which I kind of struggle with that phrase, probability, because, um, you know, I, God's God's in control of so many things and he's doing and working behind the scenes and he can bring it about. So, you know, we trust in him to, to be able to do that. But yes, there is a difference between possibility and probability. That's one of the things that Jesus is touching on, especially with this passage. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Arguably, that's an impossible thing. 
than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the whole point there is because they're holding on to their wealth. Because their identity is wrapped up in their wealth, they're not willing to let go of the identity of wealth and wrap on to their identity of a needy, sinful person in need of grace and forgiveness. And if you can't let go of your wealth and embrace Christ, then you know, I don't care how much is in your bank account, whether it's $3 or $3 billion, you're not going to make it to heaven because it's not about your wealth. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're accepting the forgiveness that he offers through Christ. That's how it happens. I love what Tim just said. And I, a couple of things come to my mind. It comes down to a person's where their identity is. That's what it comes down to. If their identity is in this world and their wealth, they're going to have some really hard challenges moving forward. But if their identity is in Christ, that eye of the needle, it's a walk in the park. That's an easy thing for them. And I like it, Tim, I so appreciate what you just shared. When I was a youth pastor many, many moons ago, we did this little fun little youth event where we took a coconut and we drilled a hole, a small hole in there. And there was this whole adage where if you want to catch a monkey, you take and you drill a hole in, in the coconut and then you put a little treat in there. He reaches in, puts his hand in there, grabs that thing, and they would chain the coconut to a tree. And then that monkey would hold on to that piece and they'd be yanking and yanking, but they can't get their hand out because they've had a clinched fist inside the coconut. If the monkey would just open their hand and let go, they would be able to be free. That is the same analogy that happens with some of the rich people in this world. They're clinching and holding on to what they own so tightly. All God's saying is like, let it go. And we know what the scriptures talk about when it comes to eternity's sake. Some people feel like if I let go, I'm going to lose all. I don't see that in scripture at all. I think if we let go, then God in his amazing way brings increase upon increase as we use what he has blessed us with for kingdom purposes. That's what it's about. God increases our wealth, increases what we have for the purpose, I believe, of taking care of our family today, tomorrow, and then also to build eternity, bring as many people on board with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we know as a pastor, it costs money to do things. And right. you know, us, us pastors, you know, our big salaries that we get as, pa <laughs> as pastors, with that money, we need to be able to feed our families. We need to keep the lights on, pay the oil bill, and have programs that's gonna reach into the community. That all costs money. So if I, we can get people to jump on board and give generously, that's the game changer. I was thinking about the passage in Revelation. I, I can't remember if it's Revelation 2 or 3. We're, we're talking to the church that, that thinks it's, it's all that in a bag of chips. It says, I'm wealthy. I have nothing. I have all that I need. I don't need you. And, and Jesus says to them, through the angel, through, through John, he says, you don't realize that you are naked, wretched, pitiable. The problem as you said, it's your identity. When your identity is, I am wealthy, I'm rich, I have no need of anything, I have no need of God. What you're missing is that you are holding on to just mere human earthly wealth that does not last. It will pass away. And you don't realize that you're actually naked. You're pitiable, you're wretched because you're just holding on to earthly wealth, not, not that which is truly wealth. And we see from Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves what? He says, treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where's your wealth? If your wealth is only here in this world, then you're not wealthy. At the end of that episode that you were referring to, we talked about, can you be a Christian and be rich? The answer from some perspectives is like, no, like wealth is horrible, terrible thing. Can you get to heaven and be poor? Is it possible for a poor person to make it to heaven? And the answer is no. 
Whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, Tim, you're sounding like heresy here. No, listen to me. If you make it to heaven, it is because your identity is wrapped up in Christ. It doesn't matter about how many dollar bills you have here in America on this earth. You have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ because of that. Ephesians chapter one tells us we have the inheritance, the immeasurable richness of the inheritance of Christ. It is impossible to make it to heaven without that wealth because you are a child of the king. That's a different perspective, and it's helpful no matter where you find yourself on the socioeconomic scale. If you have Christ, you have everything. I think it's very important when we talk about the eye of the needle, God actually tells the rich man to, to give up all his things, right, and follow him. Why? He's saying, let go of your identity, which has been these riches and what yes. you do and how much yes. money you make, and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't let go of his identity. And Jesus understood that if you could not let go of these earthly things, there was no possible way that you could follow him, right? So there's a lot of theories about what the eye of the needle was. Was it an actual needle that the candle goes through, which is probably low in probability, but God also says to God, all things are possible. That's one. They also think it's a, a gate in Jerusalem where the camels that are on caravan would go through the desert and they had all their stuff, right? The water, their supplies, but to get through the gate, they had to take it off. They couldn't get through the gate with all their wealth and all the things they've accumulated on their journey. They had to let go of it. And that's almost like the analogy for getting into heaven is that you have to let go of these earthly things before you can walk through this thin gate, which we call the gates of heaven. Now, some people may argue, well, that wasn't a real gate or there's no archeological proof that that was an actual gate. But as many parables that Jesus talks about, don't miss the message. These parables are to open our minds to the idea that we have to let go. So regardless if it's a real gate, regardless if it's an eye of a needle, we need to understand the message and that's what people need to get. Paul says, do not argue over insignificant things. And I think that's very insignificant about if it was a real gate or not, if he's talking about a real camel, that's not realistic. Did you get the message of you need to let go of your identity tied to wealth and follow God? I was just actually preaching the other day at a church. You mentioned about a message that we did about eight stewardship lessons from the richest man ever. And I'm telling you, it's one of my favorites. And I want to bring in a, a quote by British author and lay theologian, C.S. Lewis. And this is what he said. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world right now today were precisely those who thought the most of the next. Believers who are excited and looking forward to being in glory one day will invest their riches, their assets, what they have today in ministries and programs that will lead people and help them grow in Christ, come to know Christ, because it's those investments that they get to have one day join them in glory. That is the best investment and the best riches that any one of us could ever have. I want to introduce our final topic around stress, if we can. Is that okay with you guys? We don't have any stress at all, so we're done. <laughs> Dr. John C. Maxwell, he's an internationally recognized leadership expert, speaker, coach, and author, and reoccurring guest speaker for Kingdom Advisors. Tim is actually a member of Kingdom Advisors as well. But this organization is dedicated to spreading the gospel through advisory services. In our last study group, we were talking about perspective. We broke down the four perspectives during the story of the Good Samaritan. He recounts a quote, we don't see things as they are, but we see things as we are. That is perception. And right now, those listening have a perception of what is considered wealth, what is considered wealthy, and this pursuit of it, and fulfilling the desires to identify as wealthy as well, instead of following the Lord, that Jesus knew that people who are going to follow him are going to be distracted by wealth on his mission because there were also going to be times where they were going to go without. There were going to be times that they would need the help of others. And if people, as I said before, love money, they would desert the mission as soon as they lost it. We see the same with our finances. Yes, we want our finances to grow. Tim made this point earlier, but the numbers on the statement shouldn't be the final factor determining your happiness. Because if that is the case, strap in, because you're on one heck of a roller coaster of emotions that will eventually do what? Drive you crazy. We're not ignorant of the fact that money can cause stress. I want you to remember these four questions by Ron Blue. How much is enough? Who owns it? 
who are the stewards, and are they prepared? Knowing these four questions will help reduce your stress. I have one more tip for you here before we get into this final topic. I'm going somewhere with this. I have a 3D rule of doing business. Never do a deal when you are desperate, under duress, or distressed. According to the American Psychological Association, money, jobs, and the economy remain at the top of the list of top stressors in America and states that an individual's capacity to pay attention and to follow through can be compromised by high stress events. So Tim and Drew could put a perfect financial plan together, but if you're stressed, you'll never follow through and you'll be compromised whenever there's a high stress event. That's why we have plans. So we're prepared for those events. So here we go. So I wanna ask you guys, how do you help your listeners de-stress their lives when it comes to money? And how do you change their perception so their finances can be a better representation of who they are in Christ and not just who they are as far as well? I think there's a fourth D you're missing. What is that? It's called distracted. Don't make a decision when you're distracted. (laughs) There you go. I was actually listening to your podcast. You mentioned that a couple of weeks ago and actually really found that 3D framework to be helpful. The biggest thing that we find with working with with clients is to help them recognize that they have a stewardship responsibility, right? The first thing we do is maybe increase the stress for a minute. (laughs) The money's not yours, it's God's. Oh my word. And, And God cares about how you handle that money and you are called to be a good steward. You're hearing me say this and maybe you're starting to feel like a little anxious, a little twitchy, like, oh my goodness, is he going to get upset if I don't beat the S&P 500? The answer is no. What we try to help our clients do is understand that they need to know when it's the right time to bring in someone to help them to offload or to delegate some of that stewardship responsibility. And that's where the life group comes in. That's where me and, and the other advisors come in. And I'm sure that you're doing the same thing, right? We, we sit down with them and we help them craft a stewardship plan for how do we handle these things now? By the way, and I think this is really important to recognize, being a good steward doesn't mean taking no risk. Risk is always there. You you think about the three stewards who were given talents and the master went off. The first two took their talents and doubled it. The third one, he said, I know my master is a harsh man and he gathers where he did not sow and he does all these things. He, I don't want to lose the money. So I'm going to bury it in the backyard. And what happened when the, when the master came back, he scolded harshly this third. He said, cast them out into outer darkness. He's a bad steward. Why? Because he took no risk. He didn't take prudent risk. Yeah. And that's really where our job is to say, what's that right level of prudent risk for our clients so that they can achieve what they're hoping to achieve and still be sane when the market goes down and recognize that all God requires of you is to make the best decisions with the information you have at the time that you have it and trust the Lord with the results. Brothers and sisters, hear this. If before investing, you can look square in the mirror at yourself in the eye and say, this is God's money. Hmm. And he has promised, he has promised that he will provide. He says, I am worth more than many sparrows. Praise Jesus. I love that. That means I'm going to do my best with this portfolio. And he very well in his providence may choose to make that provision come from the funds that he has provided. That is absolutely, it's one of our goals. We want to be able to steward that wealth well so that it can be part of the way God answers that promise. But if not, if things happen, if you know nuclear war happens or whatever, you know, stock market or health or who knows, his promise is no less trustworthy. He will still provide. You are worth more than many sparrows. So if you and I can sit here at the beginning and know with a, without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord is the one that we're going to trust, not in our wealth, not in our portfolio, not in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, or really fancy financial advisors, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Now we have a great foundation. So let's talk about how we can invest these funds and help you have less stress by allowing us to walk with you and manage that stress for you. I like what you said about risk. And I think people have a misconception about risk. And 
there's different types of risk, right? There's inflation risk, there's interest rate risk, there's default risk. As an investor, there's a couple of things that you need to know. Risk tolerance and risk capacity. Not only how you feel about the market, but how much can you take? I'm sorry, but if you have $4 million, your expenses are only $100 a month, I think you have the risk capacity to take a little bit more risk in your portfolio. Sometimes it even operates on the opposite side. People don't have the risk capacity. They have $100 and they want to put $99 of it in Bitcoin or some type of cryptocurrency. That's the idea that I want to explain to my listeners at this point, that there's two types of risk. There's risk tolerance and there's risk capacity that we want to look at when we're trying to develop our financial plans. And what Tim and, and Drew have said over this podcast is that when you put your faith in God, that's where you're going to reduce your risk, right? We can, we can pray all day. God has a destination for us. Now, if we wait for all the lights to be green before we leave our house, we will never get anywhere. When we get on the road, there's going to be some stops. There's going to be some risks that we need to acknowledge, prepare for, and get through. But Tim and Drew are there to help you there. So they have three levels of protection here, right? So they're going to help you with your financial plan. They're going to help you with your spiritual life. And they're also going to help you with those taxes. Because, I mean, who likes taxes? Nobody. I want to talk to some of these people in cryptocurrency today. There's a, there's a thing called short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains. So all you out there who want to be day traders and buy AMC and GameStop and get your, your quick $50 or $100 or whatever it was at that time, you got to understand about short capital gains and long-term capital gains. So you're getting taxed very heavily because you want to be a day trader. I, I Ordinary this, income, that's right. Of course. We want to make this little joke here. If you day trade, it's like a casino right? If you have a short-term time horizon or a medium time horizon, it's like playing a game. But if it's a long-term horizon, you're building wealth. And I want y'all to think about that. If you look at your statement, if you look at the stock market and how far it fluctuates up and down, we'll make it very simple. We won't talk about all those other terms that kind of go over people's head here. If your time frame is shorter, the noise get louder. Have you ever seen an audio file where it spikes very high and up? That's when you do when you day trade. But the longer your time horizon, the more it smooths out and it gets quiet and it gets more calm. So depending on how calm you want your noise to be, adjust your time horizon and your expectations. I said this earlier today in my newsletter that at the root of all conflict is unexpressed expectations. So when you come into a financial plan, you have these expectations of making millions of dollars, but you don't express them. And it causes conflict because your financial plan doesn't match with that. But you go to Tim, you go to Drew, and they're going to break those things down, quiet the noise, so you can focus on God and let them focus on your finances. Okay, is that fair? Is that fair for my listeners to do that? What do you think, Drew? I so appreciate what you shared and what Tim just shared. And in, in our teaching and preaching wing division that we have called the Life Institute, where we teach and preach in churches all over the country on biblical stewardship, it's a, actually a three-day seminar that we do, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And one of the things that I have the joy of hearing Tim speak about, and we're going to be doing this in a few weeks, we'll be in upstate New York teaching up there. Tim will, without a doubt, say this slow and steady wins the race. So Tim, why don't you just elaborate on that for a moment? If you're just looking for the quick hit, you know, if you're focused on those short time frames, you're going to just drive yourself crazy. You'll be focusing on uh, short-term trends and news, but slow and steady wins the race. That's the recipe for successful investing. It's just consistency over time. Consistency over time brings success. So if you want to be a successful investor, don't worry about the news. Don't worry about the stock market up or stock market down or this recession or that recession or this virus and outbreak and that virus and outbreak. Focus on consistency because that's where the magic happens. How does compound interest happen? It happens when you're consistent, doing the same thing week in and week out. That's how great businesses are built. That's how great kingdoms are built. That's how wealth is built. Well, before we go, are there any final words or thoughts that you would like to share with our audience, how they can get in contact with you? Because I know a lot of people are listening and they're like, who is this podcast, guys? I, I want to listen. I want to know more. So can you let them know where they can find you? Yeah. If, if you want to hear more, more from Drew and from me on a weekly basis, 
in addition to your favorite podcast, this one. Uh, Amen to that. Appreciate it. <laughs> you, you can go over to the Stewardology podcast. Look us up in the podcast catcher and you can subscribe. Our, our podcasts are once a week. They're about anywhere from a half an hour on the short end up to about an hour on the long end. I'd say average is about 50 minutes. Yeah. And we'll talk about the Bible and finance will have this whole intersection where finance and theology come together, investing in theology comes together. We'll talk about the intersection. We'll try to give you encouragement, hope, and sometimes a kick in the pants and a lot of times, <laughs> every time, hopefully tons of practical, practical information. So stewardologypodcast.com. You can also go to thelifegroup.org. That's our our wealth management arm, thelifegroup.org and lifeinstitute.org for our ministry side as well. One of the things that I can say since I've come to be a part of this team here with Life Financial Group, Life Institute, the whole teaching and preaching, and now stewardology for almost just short of two years now we've been doing this. We are passionate about seeing people grow in their knowledge of that cross-section of biblical theology and practical applicational usage of what God has given us. One of the things that we say in our seminar often with the Life Institute is that information without application leads to frustration. So one of the things that we're passionate about with stewardology is we want to give that information, but we also want to give that application. We are blessed where our podcast, by God's grace and that alone, we're hitting all over this world. We have had interaction with people overseas many times over, and we are grateful with that. We just want to see people take the practical applicational pieces with the word of God, put it into practice. Why? It's about the kingdom, my friends. Heavens and earth will pass away, but his word will not. The question is, how many people are we going to be able to take with us? As we talked about in the beginning, we are wealthy people. We are rich people. Let's take what God has blessed us with, steward it well, and take as many people as we can to join us in eternity forevermore in the presence of our Lord and Savior. Truly blessed. Truly blessed. Well, fellas, this is the end of the show. We thoroughly enjoyed you on the show and looking forward to hearing more from you and your mission as it continues to grow. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you've been blessed. Don't worry. This may not be the last time that you hear from Pastor Drew and Tim Russell. As many of our listeners know that we are planning to have an end of the year reunion for all of our guests and have a roundtable discussion. So if you've enjoyed this episode, make sure that you send us an email at info at abrwealthmanagement.com and vote for your favorite guest. All links discussed during this podcast will be in the description below. As we pray, you continue to pursue your financial journey of being rich and righteous. I hope that you've been blessed. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a virtual and in-person fee-only advisor that believes that financial advice should have God in it. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC a registered investment advisor which produces a podcast show and makes it available on his website and through other distribution channels. Elijah Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast should be construed as solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy or sell any specific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast, Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the Darnest Thing podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decisions. Instead, please consult a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.